Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host Patrick from Pull String Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Mark. Patrick, we have a return guest this morning. Excellent. Claudia Weintraub is the director of the River Oaks Academy down in the southern part of the 805. Claudia, welcome back to the show. Well, good morning. Thank you. I, I'm excited to be back. Good you, morning to both of you. So I, uh, I did a little research last night, and I found out that in the more than 200 shows we've done, this is the number one downloaded show of all the shows. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Wow, I'm I'm speechless. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, number 1. <laughs> and so let's let's uh, Claudia, why don't you remind our listeners what it is that you do there at River Oaks? Okay, yeah, I'd love to. So um, River Oaks is a personalized learning public charter school. And um, the reason we say it that way is because we want to make sure that people understand that we are a public school. Charter schools are public, which means that we are publicly funded. And we are a personalized learning program, which means that we are, by other, in other words, you know, would be um, – deemed to be an independent study program. Homeschool is another term that's often used. Um, we're staying away from those terms a little bit because they have a lot of stigma attached and we feel that's not what we want um, for our students or parents or you know people who are interested in our program to, to be attached to. Personalized learning is really means that we try to personalize um, the learning plans for all of our kiddos. And ultimately, we offer an alternative setting for those students for whom the traditional um, brick-and-mortar school setting is not um, working for whatever reason. And there can be there are hundreds, you know. So, um, so I'm the director of River Oaks. We are um, a school of about 310 kids. Um, that's what we closed at last year. We have actually, in the meantime, two facilities. We have the one in Westlake, which is we call it our mothership. And we have the pod in Oxnard. So um, we opened up in Oxnard about three years ago and uh, um, are serving the needs of the students uh, at that end of the county. So, Claudia, I'm, I'm curious, because um, I don't have a stigma attached to the word homeschooling. What, what, where does that come from? Because my grandson, is, as we talked before, is, is homeschooled, and I'm, I'm just thrilled with the education he's getting, but I don't know, should I be calling it personalized learning? You know, you can. I mean, so you're probably one of the few who doesn't. But oftentimes when we um, talk to people about homeschool, they think it's this kid who is totally isolated, sitting at home um, at a table by himself and has no socialization and no network or, you know, any support of any any kind. And so we feel... Um, you know, that's, that's been attached to homeschool, unfortunately, still. Um, I think we're, we're breaking through that a little bit, but, you know, that's why we kind of decided to, to just move away from that. Um, same with, like, you know, hybrid um, hybrid programs. Uh, feel like when you think of hybrid, you think of a hybrid tomato or, you know. <laughs> or a car. 
or a car, right? And so we, we really felt that it would not um, properly describe what we're doing, which is truly um, personalizing the education for each child. And I often tell parents who come in to talk to me that, you know, I may have 25 sixth graders, but while we all you know, adhere to the standards and ultimately that is our destination, whatever the sixth or seventh grade standards are. But it may look slightly different for each student and especially at River Oaks where we want to incorporate our students' passions into what we're doing. So, um, you know, if I have a student who's passionate about music, let's try to see how we can incorporate that into what the student does on a daily basis. The... um the term personalized learning has a bit of a is kind of loaded for me in a very positive way. I, I think of I have my own I call it a PLP, my personal learning plan, and I actually teach this to people I work with so that we all have a plan of things that we're working on any given year to learn. So if you believe in lifelong learning and continuing education, then write it down. That becomes your personal learning plan, and you figure out whether it's going to be, it's almost like we're homeschooled. I'm homeschooling myself. Uh, but I, but I, love, I love that whole concept, and it starts when they're really young. Um, I'm curious... How, uh, what's the oldest grade? Do you go all the way to high school with um, personalized learning? Right, yeah. We are actually a transitional kindergarten TK through 12th grade program. So we have the full gamut. So uh, I remember we talked about this before, and, I, and, and you really got my head straight around the idea of socialization and that, um, the, you know, while the kids are at home, there's many, many opportunities where they are with classmates. I'm curious, though, and I don't remember asking this question before, that high school feels like there's, it's, it's a big social club, right? That whole high school experience, we start to learn about dealing with other people in, in writ large, if you will. How does how does that change, or how is that, let's say, better with a personalized learning program? Well, um, you know, for better or for worse, you're right. We are um, having a lot of social um, interaction in high school, many of which are not necessarily positive. Um, I have a lot of students breaking out of the traditional high school setting because they can't handle that social mm. pressure that's going on. So it's it's a you know it's a pro and con. I mean, for many it works, and you know, to me, it's like don't rock the boat. If everything is fine, leave it alone. But the students who come here, they need um, something different. They, for whatever reason, are falling through the cracks. They can't handle the social pressure. There's bullying going on. Um, I had an 11th grader in Oxnard that I talked to just a couple of days ago, and I asked him. I said, "Why are you? Why do you want to leave? Where you? You know, your high school?" And he goes, "I don't feel safe." Mm-hmm. And that's that is you know that's a, an awakening statement to me. It's like wow, and that came from the student, not the parent. And um, you know, so for some kids, um, this is truly just an option to get out of there. Um, they still get socialization here, but it is in a much more um, confined, smaller circle with a lot, you know, our, our adult to, to student ratio is huge. So I always tell the kids, look, we know your name for better or for worse. We know your name, so don't get in trouble. Um, but uh, so they, they can still get the socialization, but I think those students who, um, 
uh, just feel they can't handle it and they can't handle the things that are happening um, out there. They are trying to escape. And, you know, it's not for everybody. Two and a half thousand, three and a half thousand student high school. That's a lot of kids. And um, and not everybody can handle that. I'm I'm thinking there's a, a situation right now in a club I'm in and people say, gosh, it feels like high school here. Because it's all the politics and clicks and all that stuff. And to your point, you said for better or for worse. I'm going to guess that uh, the kids that are at your school, they're focusing more on the more important things like getting ready for college and that kind of deal. I'm curious, um, you had written and said that things are changing since, I think we talked a few years ago, but that the political climate around charter schools is changing. Help our audience understand that. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, <clears throat> a huge battle. Um, so, as you well know, since uh, you know we have a new governor and with, we also have a new superintendent of schools, um, a state superintendent of schools. So, and at the beginning of the the year, we had the LA Unified Teacher Strike, and with that came some really hefty um, bills that are were geared really uh, driven by the teacher union and geared to towards um, stopping charter schools from what they are doing, which is filling a need for students who are just not well served by the traditional system. And it became a very, very big and is still ongoing, a huge political battle. And it's it become this thing that, uh, you know, about I mean, it, it's to a large degree, unfortunately, the union hostility against charter schools because, <clears throat> excuse me, charter schools oftentimes do not employ, most of the time, do not employ union uh, teachers. We are like River Oaks, we are non-union. So with that, that gives us greater flexibility. And in general, charter schools have greater flexibility, whether that is in choices of curriculum or innovative teaching methods or um, how we approach things. And so we want to have, you know, we're, we're essentially supposed to be like this labyrinth of experiments within education, coming up with more progressive ideas. And our hands aren't tied by the bureaucracy of, of a district. So um, that is, of course, a challenge to the status quo of districts um, who don't have that wiggle room very easily, who are oftentimes um, tied down by by union demands and um, restrictions, and so we had two very very um, tough assembly bills, AB fifteen oh five and AB fifteen oh seven, who um, were really um, very dangerous bills and very hostile bills, and uh, you know it's taken a lot of advocacy on part of of charter schools, and the bills are still going. They just went from the assembly um, floor over to the Senate and just passed through the education committee. Very, very tight as a, you know, 4-3 pass, but nonetheless they passed. And what it is essentially, um, AB 1507 would basically restrict um, where we can locate our facilities, whereas um, AB 1505 restricts a whole bunch of things, including um, authorization and um, uh, re- um, renewals in general, etc. So it's um, there's a lot of stuff out there, unfortunately, that is is um, very much jeopardizing what uh, charter sco- uh, charter schools do. And you know, you have to realize that. Um, 
last year uh, for the 1819 school year there were over 1300 charter schools with almost 630,000 students which amounts to about 10% of California's students you've got to ask yourself why that is why are that many kiddos um, you know not going to your traditional district schools and that's most likely because they were not served well so we're battling these bills um, and it's been quite the battle at this point we're hoping that we can make an impact once it gets to the senate floor um, and you know we're, we're, we recognize that reform is needed but we don't feel that the bills address the reform that is actually needed Wow. That, so that was a lot to unpack there. Um, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, that's fine. One, one of the things that um, it, it's, it's typically the case is when people get upset, it's because it's a financial reason. And it feels like you, you said there were a couple of things. One was union hostility towards this. And then the, you get the greater flexibility towards curriculum. I'm, I'm going to guess that people could actually could care less whether you have greater flexibility or not, but that the unionization is where the the resistance is coming from because there's dollars involved. Whenever there's money involved, people get annoyed. Is that fair or not fair in this case? Um, yes and no. Yes, it is. Um, you know, it is money-driven, though that's not what they would say to you. They would say that, you know, they don't feel we serve our kids as well or um, but ultimately the district people now moving away from what the union says for district people they will say that charters are taking money I would say to you does the money belong to the district or is ultimately the money uh, you know belonging to the student and do you as a consumer in this case as a parent have the right to choose where your child should go to school and where your child is best served um, so, but is it a financial um, issue to a large degree? Yes, of course, and that's partially because many of the districts are financially not um, doing super well. Uh, I can tell you that the district in which we're located here, Conejo Unified, is faced with a $6 million deficit next year. So that has to come out of their reserves, and of course, you know, um, if charter schools wouldn't take students from them, and I put take in quotes here, um, then that money would go to them. Would that mean that their financial woes would be solved? My guess is not, because even at the districts, even though we don't hear about that, there is financial mismanagement. Uh, they did not plan on having to pay for all those higher uh, costs of, um, you know, retirement teacher retirement calsters and there are many other things that <clears throat> are probably not um you know in in dealt with in the most frugal ways so it, it's a catch-22 i mean ultimately everybody says you know um children first it's got to be children first but it's just become a sound bite and it cannot be just a sound bite yeah, interesting i'm i'm uh, i'm thinking of the the kind of education that my I have my I have a data point of one, right? My my grandson, <laughs> yeah. and um, I I just uh, he's getting a hundred x the education I got, and I feel like I got a great education uh, in the public schools down in Los Angeles, and I'm ju I'm just thrilled at the opportunity he has, and um and and how his mom has really stepped up to be an active participant in that. You know, I mean, she's uh, it. 
it was the as as I said the first show it was completely the opposite of of what I thought, and it's been it's been great. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious, I want to go to this idea, I, I love the quote, it's a labyrinth of experiments in education. It feels like um, education is being transformed through technology uh, in, a, in a pretty serious way, pretty much like every other industry has. And uh, in that, how are you responding? How are charter schools, how is River Oaks responding to that? Um, so we incorporate technology and have been for for quite a while um, on, on a variety of levels. For one, um, you may recall last time we spoke, which was, what, about four and a half years ago, something like that. Um, we just um, started our career pathway program. And one of the pathways that we um, are offering at this point and have by now really flushed out is our computer networking. So that is one where, you know, students can... Um, be a part of that pathway and um, learn, for example, how to take a computer apart and put it back together. They learn how to design software that could prevent hacking and they learn how to write code. So, you know, those are phenomenal opportunities that we offer right here on campus with one of our uh, CTE credential teachers. As a matter of fact, that pathway is an articulated pathway with more per college, which means that our kids can get college credit to take that class at our campus. Uh, so that, to me, is an incredible way um, of, of starting, you know, of offering technology. We go farther. We offer, for example, part of the curriculum that you know any student can take um, online. I'm a little bit of. Um, not necessarily a proponent of having everything done online. So there are entire online independent study programs. My thoughts are when you do that, um, it takes away from, again, personalizing because your entire content is delivered to you and it makes it much harder to personalize. Um, but we incorporate technology every which way. We have laptops av available for all of our kiddos. They can check it out if they don't have one at home. We offer coding classes even for the younger kids. Um, and so, and again, you know, as we head into high school, we offer them that I am um, the networking class. And our kids, we had um, a couple of students who went for um, a networking, a CompTIA certificate, which I guess CompTIA is like. Uh, is, is a software program <clears throat> where they can go for a certificate with the um, company that's you know outside. So they come out and already have a really nice foundation if they want to go into um, into any computer related um, profession. So one of the challenges I think for for parents right now, and you know, Patrick's got a young one, uh, who is uh, he has had a young one since you were on the show. She's a really good uh, programmer already. Yeah, two. <laughs> and uh, this this concept of screen time is one that new parents have to deal with. Uh, that we're in constant debate about it with with our friends talking about what is what is an appropriate um, what is an appropriate amount. Um, because there's the back and forth between, well, we'll just have no screen time. And then the kid arrives into a program like yours and doesn't understand how to interface with uh, technologies that, that every other kid around them has mastered for years. And so there's this back and forth between, you know, where do we land on that? Who? And there's no, there's no single expert out there 
who who seems to be you know ringing the bell for the best of it like here's the, here's what you need to do because the for whatever reason we just we haven't heard it yet right and and i think that's a very um tough one um as a parent to make a decision on my philosophy is that a no screen time in, in general a no no anything in general is never a good idea yeah. because all it does is sort of like you know the, the cookie jar thing you tell them no ah. cookies at all they sneak that cookie when you don't look and and that that's you know for me wearing my parent hat so i always felt that moderation is is your key to pretty much anything in life. <laughs> and I think that's the same as screen time because quite frankly, for our kids, um, technology is a must. And, and the future is, like Mark said, is in technology and you need to be able to do this. I, for example, right now have um, a, a summer um, front office clerk and um and she's a student a cal lutheran and um i you know had no idea what her tech skills were but i was so amazed because i would ask her for a simple task and it would come back and just you know the most amazing excel format and this <laughs> and that something that i didn't even expect but then thought about and like yeah, I bet you that most kids of that age, if they have had a little bit of tech background, will learn how to do an Excel spreadsheet. And it's it's a must. You have to know some of these things. Does everybody need to know coding? I don't know. I'm personally not, you know, fluent in that. But at the same time, I think we need to at least give the kids a little bit of those tools to be fluent in technology. Does that translate into playing video games? you know, five hours a day, I don't think so. But, you know, like you said, I mean, studies are back and forth now. There are also studies that are linked that a lot of this um, is what causes this heightened um, uh, rate of anxiety and depression. And, you know, that's a huge problem right now in our schools where, I mean, right now we are required to publish suicide hotline um, phone numbers for mm -hmm. our students. We have to have suicide prevention policies in place and again a lot of those negative um, consequences are linked to screen time yeah that's the again we're, we're getting to the nub of it here is that that socialization whether it's you know even if your mom is teaching you you you're having that independent thing rather than mom handing you the iPad and say, okay, here's the lesson you're going to do, right? That, that, that interaction, I think as, as humans, we're seeking connection and significance. And uh, when we lack either one of those, then all of those negative outcomes happen. And I think that the, the technology, while it's, it's incredible, it also has that, it's that double-edged sword, right? I'm thinking of your... Um, your person who's working at the front desk now is a digital native and you know we're digital immigrants of, of a certain age and we're at this point where there's this huge there's there is a digital divide and that's rapidly going away each generation that comes in um, i'm curious are the kids that are in you are are you calling them um, this is just a separate research <laughs> project do you call them gen z or zennials or i've heard them called the igen is there a, a word that you're using in education for this group of kids that were born since 2000? 
Um, I, I haven't. Um, I, I have to tell you, I'm a little lost with all these terms, but so I haven't. <laughs> but I know they're they're floating out there, and I actually was baffled when my own kids, who mind you are in their 30s, have, was, were talking about what generation they were. I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> you know. So um, I, actually, and they were interestingly enough talking about some of the different uh, generations you know, kind of sense of entitlement and, and uh, you know, putting it in, in almost a negative content, a context. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm a little clueless when it comes to these kind of things. For me, um, they're um, all, you know, individuals who um, all have their enormous strengths, their passions, uh, but also some weaknesses. And hopefully, you know, as such, we, we address uh, we address those as individuals. I always kind of am a bit reluctant to <clears throat> totally lump them together. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, just from demographics and social graphics, we tend to put them in big clusters. But mm-hmm. everybody, I think everyone is trying to figure out how do, we, how do we get to an individual human, whether it's targeted ads or whatever it is. We're, we're trying to go from big to small now in everything because we've all felt uh, we're rebelling against l- being lumped together. Um, as groups, so we want to be seen as individuals. So I think that's just part of the human condition that's happening. Claudia, I'd, I'd love to understand um, what do you think the future is of? We'll stick with charter schools, but I'm I'm curious about education. Um, if, if you're you know you're our you're our expert here, um, what should we look forward to in the next let's say five to ten years? Um, I think um, what we do here at River Oaks is um, a big step into the future is quite progressive. I I am a firm believer and um, actually, um, you know, one of my board members happens to be a, a professor in the Department of Education at Cal Lutheran. And we talk about that all the time and that we feel that with the personalized learning, we are at the forefront simply because in the end, if we look at what what is education, it really, um, I mean, you can just dump all this stuff onto the kids and hope they absorb whatever you dump on them or at least a, a great percentage or you can make it more meaningful. And I I believe that, that this personalization, look, we, we've... If you look at you know the world around you, what what is what attracts you is the things that speak to you. If we can make it more meaningful for our students, then they get they have much greater passion, and they can you know it, it, it's not in a vacuum. And I think that is what it ultimately needs to be. Um, how that can be done in a traditional classroom? That's very difficult because you have you know, 35 kids in a classroom. So that's a tough thing to do. But even there, I believe it, it can be done. Again, I think what we what we really need to do is that we need to, even on a district level, hopefully be able to drop some of the bureaucracy and, and just, you know, look at what needs to be reimagined. Because... Um, the future, I mean, we're not doing that well in education in California. I mean, we're one of the bottom ones, if not the bottom one. Um, and, you know, part of it has to do with funding. We are 
you know, underfunded, so I get that. But I don't know that that would take away from innovation in a classroom, and I think that's what we are doing here by listening to our students, by creating opportunities, by making them um, a part of, of what we do and what they do on a daily basis. Um, let me give you a quick example. So, for example, we recognized last year that our 11th graders really needed more support with math. And so we brought all the 11th graders together for a breakfast and, um, you know, fed them, which is, speaks, you know, high school language is give me food. And um, we asked them, what would it take, what does it take on our end to support you better? What? How can we make you know help you guys with this and we listened to them and we we heard what what it would take to motivate them from oh yeah especially in our program let's put a club together where we 11th graders can meet up and then we can work on math issues and we can also socialize a little bit and and we did that and we had the greatest success we brought up their math scores but they also had a really good time so it became meaningful to them, and they were a part of the process. And I think that is just huge. If you think about that, when are students a part of the process at a traditional district school? Yeah, it's just decisions are being made for them, not with them. You, you, you had me thinking there about, um, because as, as a listener to our show knows, we, we talk about lots of different subjects here, and, and one of them is, is technology and AI specifically and machine learning. And I'm curious. Um, I was just I was just imagining how a student might be um, kind of scrolling, like scrolling through a news feed, but like scrolling through a an educational feed. Like these are all the things you could learn, young eleventh grader, right? You know, it's just all. Let's say it was all content that was targeted specifically to a specific grade level, and then depending on the kinds of things that caught their interest would um, continue to personalize that or continue to give them more information along those and in fact even lead them like gosh if you like this you might like that but rather than that being a shopping thing people who bought this also bought that it is it is you know purely educational i'm thinking of like a, a linkedin learning um, who we had on the show um, you know being able to have something learn what i liked you know i like that but I'm curious, isn't one of the things about education is to put us in touch with things that wouldn't show up in our feed, so to speak, like algebra, probably, or world affairs, or things that you're like, oh, man, why do I have to know this? And you kind of struggle it a bit. But, you know, if you've got a great teacher, or you've got great content, then it, you know, that could be the thing that opens you up to an area that you had no idea you would like. So there's, isn't there a little push and pull there a little bit? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's unrealistic to assume that um, everything you do in life is always fun. Um, you know, I, I always hated the notion um, when they were basically saying that, you know, as educators, you're an edutainer. I'm like, no, I'm not. But that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be taught in a vacuum. And you're right. You know, I, I will tell any of our kids, um, 
actually when I meet with them, you know, when I met with a high schooler yesterday, I said, look, there'll be things in life you're going to have to do you're not going to enjoy. And that's a life skill too, to be able to learn to get through things that are not 100% enjoyable. As adults, and you know, I looked at the, at the mom and I said, look, you and I as moms, we know we're doing things on a daily basis that we don't enjoy doing necessarily, but we do them because we know they must be done. And I think that's a life skill. It's like, you know, when people say, my child has test anxiety i don't want my child to to, to take a test and oh, opting them rip. out of all the possible assessments and i'm like well what are you teaching your child uh, we need to teach your child test taking strategies to have him or her overcome this anxiety of not wanting to take tests because guess what when your child wants to take the driver's license test and goes to the dmv the dmv doesn't have any mercy they are like you take it or and you pass it or you you won't drive and I think that's the same with learning. There are things we're going to have to learn that are maybe not so much fun, or we may not realize until a bit later down the road that, oh, it actually could be fun. Um, so it has to be a balance, and I agree with that. But I feel that when we can put it in context, and if we look at that a little bit more, that we take those things that we can um, make more interesting and make them more interesting, then the others are a lot more palatable. You reminded me of one of the cardinal rules of improv. Our listener knows that we, we talk about improv a lot. And one of the cardinal rules is make it more interesting. So we live our lives that way. How do we make something more interesting? And it sounds like you are doing that. I, I appreciate that story uh, about talking to the parent because I'm, I'm thinking of the no vaccination parents, right? So it hadn't even crossed my mind. There's the no test parent. Like, that's bad. That's not good. And I love how you brought it home to that person to say, well, what happens when they go to the DMV? Or what happens when we get dropped into what you, you don't get to participate because you're not vaccinated and we can't take the chance that, uh, you, you know, you're not going to infect other kids. So, Wow. Claudia, thank you so much for the, this update. And I'm glad to hear that River Oaks is doing so well and that, um, you know, we, we are with you uh, in your efforts to, um, you know, make sure that uh, regulations don't hamper your ability to continue um, doing what you're doing. This uh, The quote for the show for me is this labyrinth of experiments in education. I just, I love that. And we listeners know we really care about innovation in all different areas and it's thrilling to hear there's innovation happening here in education how can people want to know more about this we you know as you remember we have listeners in 42 countries so if they're trying to find this kind of educational experience for their kids you know outside of of the region what, what would they google what was the what's the good way for them to find something like this in their area yeah, so the buzzwords, really, independent study, personalized learning, um, passion-based <clears throat> passion learning. So those will probably be good good Google words. And <clears throat> I have to tell you that I, I unfortunately think there aren't too many like River Oaks, um, for better or for worse, right? Um, but uh, because I had a parent who went to Virginia and said, oh, I was ready to open up a school like River Oaks in Virginia because there wasn't one. Um, but I think that would get them started. I'm also also always open for people obviously to just email me and I'm happy to help them in their search. 
So, because I do think it is important. We, we, our kids, you know, we only have really one chance to get this right, and we want to make sure we do. And so, I'm, I'm always happy to, to support parents um, in their search. And even if it's not our school, I've done that on many an occasion where we were just trying to find the best fit for them and their student. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for that. People can find you at riveroakscharter.com. Claudia, thank you so much, and uh, let us let us know how it goes uh, up at the Capitol. Drop us a note, and thank you so much for being a part of the show. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services, and our podcasting partner, Polestring Press. Now, um, Patrick, yeah, Mark, you know uh, we're working on an educational podcast yeah. for CLU, yeah, and um, we've been talking about people doing their own podcasts, but. Mm-hmm. It's interesting if they were to do a podcast around teaching something. We have been uh, having lots of discussions about what podcasts do for people, and podcasting is at the um, is at the beginning of of just a, we have our classic podcast where somebody interviews somebody like we're doing right here. Uh, we have other storytelling podcasts, uh, but now podcasts are, are are going into an entirely new place, and they're saying if if a podcast format could exist in a way that you could take on an onboard information in a really technical, really specific, really well thought out. Uh, typically, on this, I mean, Mark, you're really well researched on all of your questions that you ask our guests. But if you think about really building something as if it were a textbook or if it, if it were something that people could return to and really count on for information, uh, that's what we're starting to design uh, for Kalu and, and, and other uh, institutions. So if you're thinking, uh, we have this, this batch of information, we need to find a way for people to digest it, to bring it into their lives. Uh, podcasting might be the way. Come talk to us. Uh, we might be able to uh, come up with an innovative solution that's never been seen before. So if you'd like to talk to us about that, have a conversation, uh, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, you can find me easily at mark at 805connect.com if you have an idea of a guest uh, that we should have on the show, someone interesting like Claudia that we can interview. We'd love to have them on. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. 